Welcome to The Things We Say. I'm Sheldon. And I'm Nate. This is a topical podcast where the topics are chosen at random. Sometimes they will be profound, and sometimes they will be stupid. But no matter what, we have a lot to say about them. We are known for the things we do. We become the things we think. We live the things we believe. These are the things we say. Back on the things we say, doing our favorite hobby <laughs> that we do every week. Every week. Somebody will ask me, what are your hobbies? And I'll be like, oh, baseball card collecting? <laughs> no, I never say that. I used to say, I don't know, did, what, what were your hobbies that you would put down? Why, why do people ask your hobbies anyway? I don't, I don't it's weird. know. But what, what would you put down? Now? No, before. Before, like when I was before a kid? Before we did this podcast. Before we did this podcast? Like I'm, while you're an adult. At firearms, I guess. <laughs> and that's it. Yeah. Firearms. I always struggle with this. I'm like watching football, playing yeah, I video mean, sports, games. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I like Hanging I like out sports, with my kids. Yeah. I don't know. What, what are my hobbies? My, one of my main hobbies, I would say my two hobbies right now are mowing the lawn mm. and podcasting. Yeah. The two things that I, I really... Yeah. Genuinely enjoyed doing in my spare time. Yes. Yes. And it is all we pretty much have as far as spare time is concerned. Because <laughs> we're dads. Because we are dads and husbands. And, and working uh, full time. And husbands that don't stu- suck. You know, no offense to anyone out there. I mean, some of you, like you and your spouse, do a lot of hobbies together. But I find that most husbands that have a lot of hobbies are sucky husbands and dads. Like they, they, I know this is like this is me going for a very harsh stereotype here, but it's true. I feel like if there is a large if you have a large amount of, of hobbies and uh, and and other activities that do not involve your spouse or your and do kids. not involve your kids, then I would say you need to reassess your life a little bit because things are about to go badly for you and, and you don't know it because you're away doing other things. Yep. Somebody's playing dad to those children. Yes, yes. And <laughs> it should and be you. <laughs> other things as well. But anyway, let that go. I, you know, totally random, totally off point. But okay. if you wanted to make a point on no, that, it's you fine. Can. I was just and listening to the intro as it was coming in, I just realized I don't own any of the instruments anymore that I played that None intro on. Nope, got rid of all of them. You, you played multiple instruments for I the do. intro. I, I did, but the specific instruments that I played on that one, I've sold and or given away. I don't have them anymore. So Wow. Yeah, how about that? <laughs> so I can never Nate's re-record Music that. Emporium. Yeah. Open I, 24-7. I think that's literally the name of my rever- reverb channel. <laughs> really? Something like that, yeah. <laughs> Look him up on reverb. Yes, I don't have anything for sale right now. I don't know what that is. I'm going to post. Oh, it's, it's beautiful. I'll have to show it to you. For musicians. It's basically eBay for musicians and way better I than I think eBay. you got some of our equipment on there yeah. that we use for the podcast. Yes. Yes, I did. It's a so beautiful place. Some of our friends have been wanting to start podcasts or looking to get into it. I thought sometime we might do an episode or do something about like how we got started and, and what the catalyst was. One of the things that I was thinking about this show in particular uh, going into this week is that this show is our hobby. Yeah. Like we're not doing this for the money. No, we're not there is none. actually looking to please you. No. Like we... We like that you listen, and if you like the show, that's great. We love to hear from you. And even if you don't like the show, we enjoy hearing feedback yeah. and that kind of thing. But I don't really do it for all of you. No, not at all. I would, I would say, do this if nobody listened. Right. Yeah. And that's the idea. But do you know that this week we have had more listeners in 2019 
than we did all of 2018, and we were putting out content the entire way through 2018. Yeah, that's insane. We started this late 2017. Well, we started early 2017. We didn't release anything yeah. until late 2017. Yeah. And then we produced content all the way through 2018. And coming back today, 2019 is going to be our best year. <laughs> Even if no one listens from today forward. Right, right. <laughs> so. It's already shaping up. Yeah. And that's one of the things we're always talking about. Like, is, are there things we should be doing that we're not doing? Because... Yeah. But that's okay. We're, we're just and, loving life and doing what we're doing. And honestly, people have given us suggestions and stuff like that. And we'll take your suggestions yeah, and, and honestly go through them. Um, we'll at least read them. Yeah, we'll at least <laughs> read them. And, and if there is something that people are really interested in, it may jog something for us. So uh, we enjoy doing this. If there's something that you'd enjoy hearing about or hearing us talk about, you yeah. can always uh, hit us up at the, end of the, at the end of this episode. I'll give you our contact information. But... Um, what we're doing today is uh, some people have asked me, uh, kind of a couple people at work and then some other places that I've run into people, I tell them, you know, where I go to church, right. we go to a Nazarene church, and they're like, okay, Nazarene, that sounds a little different. What, what, what makes a Nazarene a Nazarene? Like, why, why aren't you guys just, uh, you know, evangelical yeah. or, you know. Which we are. Protestant, or which like, we also are, or, or non-denominational. <laughs> what what yeah. separates you from a non-denominational church? What makes you different than Baptists? What is yeah? And so, for lack of a better term, what is the Nazarene distinctives? What is it that makes you right different? Like, why aren't you guys just like any other church yeah. in town? Like, if you well, look at a big church in town, generally they could either be non-denominational. There's right. some type of evangelical, or you know, maybe it's the largest Baptist church, or if it's a Catholic area, it could be the Catholic church is right. the biggest there. So. Well, and that's one of the things, too. I, I'm realizing more and more, and I think through the 80s and 90s, this was not the case, but I think more and more now, the, the reality of a non-denominational church is starting to become more of a unicorn. And by that, I mean... While non-denominational churches exist, they're still coalescing with other non-denominational churches and, yes. and creating associations, associations that are essentially denominations. They just don't want to call them that. So they'll call them networks, or they'll call them, you know, to get the benefits of being a denomination while still having the autonomy of being a non-denominational church. But it's just funny to me because we like, we like structure. As humans, we like structure. We like... Uh, organization, um, and I think through some of the things that happened in the 80s and 90s with uh, abuse scandals and with with financial scandals and different things that happened, I think there's a necessity to have a higher and widespread authoritative body over governing a church. I think there's good things that come with that. Yeah, and it gives you a process for licensing, and I think that's a lot of why yeah. non-denominational churches will associate. And then, <coughs> sorry, I have a a weird cold that's lasted three episodes now. That's how I gauge how long I've yeah. had a cold. I've, I had one of those earlier in the year, so it's okay. Yeah. Anyway, um, there, there was a large church planting movement from yeah. like the seventies on and in different variations throughout. But the idea was in a lot of evangelical churches that to grow, we were going to church plant. And there was even large church planting strategies that allowed a lot of these new churches to spring up. And right. a lot of good, Life-giving stuff has come out of that, right? So, Vin no, not the least of which being the vineyard movement. Yeah, and and we're certainly not knocking no, any not of those. 
but a lot of people have asked us what makes us different. And when you hear the word Nazarene, it's different enough that you're like, yeah, eh, what is this? Yeah. And my background, culturally, I grew up Mennonite and I was, um, I was baptized into the Mennonite church. I was a member of Mennonite church for a long time and even, you know, served in the Mennonite church for a while. Mm-hmm. And now like came over to Nazarene and I would say that the Nazarene church is my church. So even though culturally, genetically, whatever you want to say about I'm Mennonite, I'm actually Nazarene in the way I, yeah. the way I think, the way I process stuff. And I would say that's been some sort of an evolution of mine since about age 27 to 35, somewhere yeah. in there. So, yeah. Um, one of the things that I, that I think about a lot when we get into denominationalism, and a lot of people, if you're coming from a non-denominational church, you've been taught that denominations are wrong for right. certain reasons. And I like to think about it this way. If you ever read Mere Christianity, and hopefully most of you have. And if not, you should. If not, you should. It's, if you like the podcast uh, format, C.S. Lewis' uh, Mere Christianity is just a collection of uh, talks that he gave on the radio. So yep. it's very conversational and kind of topics interspersed throughout. So it's, it's kind of like a podcast on paper. Yeah, But totally. it's all about what it means to be a Christian. Um, and he describes Christianity as <clears throat> a large house with many different rooms mm-hmm. in there. And it, it changed the way I think about denominations. Yeah. And he says, you know, when you've reached your own room, be kind to those who have chosen different doors and those who are still in the hall. If they are wrong, they need your prayers all the more. If they are your enemies, then you are under orders to pray for them. Hmm. That is one of the rules common to the whole house. If you're a Christian, you may be hanging out in the hallway and saying, you know what, I don't hang my hat in any particular denomination. Fine. Or I've chosen the door of non-denominational church. That's fine too. That's okay. Um, and Or I've chosen to be in the Catholic church, or I've chosen to be in the Nazarene church. Mm-hmm. I've chosen to be in the Baptist church. We're not, one thing I want to say at the outset, you're not going to hell. Right. Like, <laughs> you're, you're in the right place. Right. This is a good house. There's right. lots of rooms. There's lots of life here. Right. And there's no condemnation. Uh, the Catholic Church did persecute my ancestors and burn them at the stake. But you know what? There's been a lot of healing since that yeah. time. You know, the, the Mennonites suffered terrible persecution. Mm-hmm. But today... Large gatherings of Mennonites have met with large gatherings of Catholic uh, people and, and mended those bridges. Yeah. And great healing, great peace has come from that. And it, it's proof of not only the repentance of the Catholic Church for what happened, right. but also the Mennonite Church's desire for peace going past even the place where it's time for me to forgive yeah. and, and let it go. So that's being good. That's abiding by the house rules. Right. You know? Right. So anyway, I just wanted yeah. to throw that well, out. And, the, and it's interesting that you mentioned that specifically because I've always, I, I remember it kind of all came to me reading through scripture when it talked about, um, you know, one body, many parts and, and realizing that there are certain things that different aspects of the body of Christ universal do that others don't do. I right. mean, you know, you know, what the Mennonite church brings to the table is different from what the Nazarene church brings to the table. What the Catholic church brings to the table is different from what the well, Baptist church brings. What the Eastern brings. Orthodox yeah. brings is totally different, right. you know. But, yeah, I but, love it. But they're all members of that same body. And while there would be some dispute over that at some of the higher echelons of, of, 
of that. That's just the reality of what it is. Um, so, and it's interesting to me because while Sheldon is, I would say, culturally Mennonite, and yeah. recently Nazarene. I am culturally Nazarene. My my grandfather uh, was was a pastor in the Nazarene Church. Uh, my uh, my paternal grandfather, my maternal grandparents were active members in the Nazarene Church, and they have line that goes back into you know district superintendents and I, maybe even some general superintendents back in my in my line. I don't remember. But we have been Nazarenes forever. Um, <coughs> both of my uncles Nazarene pastors. My dad has been a Nazarene pastor for forty some years now. Um, but by the numbers, Naz- Nazarene is not a large right. denomination within the United the, States. Yeah. Like the, it has grown cult, quite a bit, right. but there, you the, would you would the, be unique. Yeah, uh, there's there's not a whole ton of people like you today yeah. that can look back at the three co- generations yeah. of Nazarene. The collective history. years of my family in the Nazarene Church is longer than the existence of the Nazarene Church. Yes. Which is an odd thing, but it's very true. And if you think about that, it makes it makes sense. But it sounds funny because you think, yeah. well, you couldn't have been longer than the denomination. Well, no, but it's you're you're adding the. There was a lot of overlap, but the cumulative yeah. years. Um, but yeah, you were talking about that. Um, the thing with the Nazarene Church is that it is it is a worldwide church. That's the thing that I think is is one thing that is a very distinctive mark um, of the Nazarene Church. We're in in 170 some world areas, um, and and have always been a very missional, been a very outward-focused church. Um, but we have, I'm looking up some of the numbers here, there are uh, 30,000 congregations of Nazarenes throughout the world as of 2016, and of that uh, 30,000, there are about 2.5 million members of the Church yeah. of the Nazarene. Uh, so again, like you said, not it's not like Catholicism, which I think has like a billion adherents or something crazy high like that. Um, but it hasn't been around as long either. I mean, yeah. we're, we're a fairly young denomination. Um, we, we began... Started in early 1900s? Yes, yes, I uh, believe. When, well, there were several church movements that reached back further than that. Right. But they combined forces into, right. into the what was Pentecostal Church of the yeah. Nazarene. Yeah, which was in, uh, 19... Uh, let me see, 1908 yes. was the official. So we, we, just, we just passed the 100-year mark not that long ago. Uh, which is yeah an interesting thing which you, is pretty young so you're, really you're young. looking at uh, four at four and a half generations yeah yeah and that's one of the things I think is funny because uh, the Nazarene Church is actually the largest Wesleyan holiness denomination in the world which there is like Wesleyanism still exists but it is very small <laughs> compared to as in the the actual Wesleyan so Church. Methodism how does it compare to Methodism as far as numbers because um, Methodism yeah, isn't Wesleyan holiness because Right, right. Let me let me look at that. Um, That's okay. I'm curious I, about I the numbers. I will say though. about the Nazarene Church. One of the things that makes it unique, and you were saying it's a global church. Um, there are most churches will have mission outreaches and that type of thing because yeah. the church itself is supposed to be missional. So if you're following the command of Christ to go into all the earth, you're going to do that. But what makes the Nazarene Church unique is they are giving uh, structural authority to their foreign congregations and those world territories that you're talking about. They have their own district superintendents. And so for the Nazarene church, just to break it down, you have districts uh, by the number of churches in the area. Basically, loosely, it's like you have so many churches in a particular region. Right. They're set up as a district. They have a district superintendent who kind of keeps track of all the pastors in that area. Yeah. Uh, district board, that type of thing. 
and then you go up to the general assemblies. The general assembly is the governing body of the Nazarene Church. Yeah, the general, uh, the general, uh, the superintendents, because the assembly is. Yes, but the assembly votes in the superintendents. Yes, the okay, assembly yeah, I see itself. What you're no, I is, see where you're at in the process. Is yeah, the yeah, governing yeah, yeah. body. Yeah. And, yes. And the manual that we follow, as far as what informs how we do yeah. church comes from the General Assembly. Yeah. That, that's where that stuff is voted yeah. on. And they elect a board of general superintendents, which yeah. are over the whole thing. Right. It's so. essentially a representative republic, right. if, if, you will, but, if you want to go with a more secular version of what it kind of is. The, if you're looking at like voting power and actual authority that's delegated to the foreign regions, that's where Nazarenes are unique because there was, there's a significant fight for that in most denominations yeah. uh the people that provide most of the money usually have the largest voting power in yeah. most church denominations yeah the nazarene church is not that way right um still a large amount of funding comes from the north american nazarene church right and other districts and are are contributing to that as they can yeah but um the the voting power the authority um, the <coughs> the licensing power, all of that is not divided up based on the amount of money that comes in or even right. the amount of people necessarily. It, right. It's it's been it's truly an international body. You have you have uh, at one time even in the late this was fairly progressive for them. I believe in the late seventies they had four out of the six. Uh, generals were not North American. Like mm. there was a Brit and a, a British one, a Scottish one, one from South America. I want to say, um, I I just took that class not that yeah. long ago, and I believe it was like four out of six. Is there um, six generals today, or have they changed that number? I think it's six. Okay. I think it's still six. Yeah. 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 And but we that's, have, and that's the thing is now we have, you know, African representation. We do have South American representation. We have, we've had several women that have been elected as well. Uh, one that is currently serving and one, one that it's had East Asia has quite a few districts. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing is, is Naz, then, you know, the Nazarene church versus like, you look at Catholicism, Catholicism was probably one of the greatest missional movements that we've ever seen as ter in terms of organiz organized in the church. But the problem is, is that it did not really account for culture. It did not allow the culture to have power. The church retained the power. The you know you know the Pope and and the Vatican Goes retained back to the, Vatican. the power. Yeah. And um, with the Nazarene Church, what essentially happened is like you're saying, you would go and people would go become a part of the culture. They would they would come from North America uh, specifically. They would go become a part of the culture that they were going to. They would live and die there. I mean, they're most of most missionaries who who went and actually established movements, uh, Nazarene movements in other countries. They're buried there. Like their family was raised there. Their yeah. families buried like they, It's a general thing very much so as well and and they gave themselves over to that culture so that that culture could in turn carry it on by themselves it wasn't yeah. like we're the great white hope that's going to come in and, and maintain everything for you forever it's literally we're going to come we're going to give you the gospel we're going to train your people and we're going to let you uh, in the context of your culture do quite it. a bit different in that regard they're they're mostly um Medical uh, relief teams and training missions and yeah. uh, support. They're, they're more supporting the local church. Yeah. Their goal is to establish a local church and then to guide it and, and to step back and allow it to flourish past them. Yeah. Um, that's always been something that, that was 
in the visioning of Nazarene mm-hmm. missions. And you might say, well, isn't that how it's supposed to be? Yes. Is that how it's carried out most of the time? No. no. Uh, it, it will be a church in the States or the, a church somewhere in North America or Europe going into a, a foreign location. And mm. that's where you see some of, some of the things that give missions a bad name, you right. know, where you're trying to impose a culture. Right. Whereas in the Nazarene way of viewing it, we want that church to flourish past right. ourselves. Right. We, and, and the culture is acceptable as long as it is not sinful. Right, and that's that's the only only line that the Nazarene Church will draw. Like they will, we will call out practices that are biblically sinful and say, okay, these things we 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 cannot say are just a part of your culture, and they're going to be carried into this. Like, no, 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 these run contrary to the Word of God. If you become a Christian, if you have accepted Christ, if you are a new creation, these are some things you're going to have to set aside. So, if you're in the U.S. and you've attended maybe seven different denominations <laughs> in the last like three months. And you see a Nazarene church, and you're going to go walk into it. What, what are you walking into? What's different? What's well, different about and that that's, place? That's actually a really loaded question because one of the things that's most interesting about the, the denomination, and this is something Sheldon and I were just talking about off the air, is that while there is definitive structure and there's definitive leadership and there's clearly defined um, rules of order, there is a lot of room at the table. Uh, for people who are putting their feet under the table at the Church of the Nazarene, so it's a you, large umbrella, and, yeah. and because it's a small, it's a, it's a young denomination, yeah, and and it started small and has grown. You got to know that the, all those people that have come in have come in from somewhere, yeah. So it is a large tent. Things are very clear, yeah. Like the boundaries of that tent are pretty clear. Hey, you know, there's no mystery, yeah, about the organization of the church and everybody's pretty clear on that, especially as you go into leadership, you're going to, you're going to find out where the boundaries are. But all those people came in, in the last 40 to 60 years. Right. Right. Except for your family. There's, there's a number of families that reach further back, but not a ton. And that's one of the, the, one of the things that's funny to me is, is my family is very well known in the denomination and I've never really put two and two together that it's because we have been in it so long collectively. Like, yeah. like we're, we are known and we know, you know, I've, I've, you know, one of the general superintendents that just retired was my actual pastor, like the man who dedicated me, you know, who did all the, like yeah. knew him intimately and, and still do. And, uh, and we're friends of the family and, you know, rose to the highest ranks of the church. Like we just have, we have a lot of interconnectivity because we've been a part of the church for so long. But, so what, what but were you saying about your the question, large tent? Yeah, to answer your question is that you could walk into a Nazarene <laughs> church and have it legitimately be, liturgical, almost to the point of like Lutheranism or Presbyterianism. I mean, clerical robes, the whole thing that, that a pastor is choosing to, to function in that form to more towards the charismatic end of things and everything in between. You can go to a place where the you average You may find age, a, a Nazarene church that is almost, in, in the U.S., that's almost entire African and runs like uh, any other black church yeah, that you would ever see. Yeah, and yep. you may go and the average age may be 90 um, at the church and you may go to another and it's, you know, like our church is very, very intergenerational, very blended. Um, some people would say it's not very racially integrated, but if you actually look at the statistics of Worcester, it's actually almost spot on, uh, for, for what Worcester's demographic is. Yeah. When we looked at it, yeah, I believe our which church is, is, which to me is, more a, diverse, is, a, is yeah. a crass thing and who cares it's terrible. very yeah. much <laughs> so because people are people and that's all that matters. But it, just for the sake of what we're talking about here. Yeah. So there, there really are no rules for that. Um, 
generally you're not going to see there's no rules on style is what you're saying exactly like, uh you can you can find services that are more hymns yeah. you know and and that would be totally something a yeah. nazarene church would do or you can have like ours i haven't seen a hymnal in 13 years yeah so. and it and also can vary a great deal from district to district yeah. Because the district superintendent, while they do not wield the power and authority that they once did, they're still a very authoritative figure. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to denigrate that. But it, it has changed a lot. It has become much more um, a pastoral role uh, in, in probably the last 20 to 30 years as opposed to a, a governing one. I mean, again, there's still governance that happens, clearly. But it's much more of a pastoral role. Well, for over... instance, I, I, for my last class, I communicated with a district superintendent yeah. out, out west. And he was very much into church planning, very much felt like that was the direction their district needed to go. And <laughs> so their whole district is very missional that way. And they're required, like, every so many years, it's strongly suggested that they're starting a church plan of some yeah. kind and supporting that. And they have a structure for it. And I'm like, wow, your your district is quite a bit different than yeah. the one I'm in. Because, yeah. you know, yeah. we're we're also evangelistic, but not in that right. mode and that right. that district superintendent has the sway to be able to encourage right. uh that district to function maybe a little yeah. different than another one so and where, whereas our focus has become with our new because we just had a new district superintendent come in a couple of years ago phenomenal guy <laughs> but um really has been a great shot in the arm for for and my uncle was the last district superintendent so i'm not again not denigrating anything that's come before no, he, he was great um, but um his, his focus has been more what we've called touchpoint evangelism, which is not just what is your church doing, but what are the individuals in your church doing? What is the influence they're having in their community? Which was huge revelation for our, our district to basically say, look at the hundreds of thousands of people that we're touching every single day and not thinking about that. Like we're always talking the numbers of who's the new Nazarenes, who's come into the church, who's been saved, baptized, whatever. And this is just taking a whole different form of evangelism. So that's been a really exciting thing for us. But it's just, it's, it's very different uh, uh, district to district. My dad, when he uh, was ordained in, I think, 84 or 85, um, they, they made a big stink about him wearing a wedding ring. Because that was still a thing. I know well, those fancy adornments of the world, and, yeah. where, and like you will not wear that to your ordination ceremony. It's like okay, you know, it was like, and and that that can be so based on uh, the the mode and method of the district superintendent that's in there. If they, it's kind of like bishops in 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 the Amish church a little bit. Like whatever their particular proclivity is, you're going to start to see the entire district kind of move that direction. Yeah. Um, again, that not has... Not quite as authoritative Not that nearly way, as authoritative. Yeah. And that has, again, changed more so over the past 30 or, or and, so and years. And so what I would say is, like, you can, go, you can go from Nazarene Church to Nazarene Church, have quite a few different experiences. Um, and, and so, you know, from church to church, district to district, you're going to get a different flavor yeah. of that expression. But uh, what Nate was talking about in like worldly adornments and stuff like that, uh, the Nazarene church was founded in the fires of several movements. One was uh, the prohibition movement that came out of Methodism and um, meth uh, like Methodist, not Sunday schools, but uh, what am I thinking of? Like uh, women's prayer gatherings and yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah. women's organizations. Yeah. Uh -huh. uh, the Nazarene church was the first church to ordain women in the United States. Um, so from the founding, one of the distinctives is we believe in the voice of women 
and they were some of our founding mothers, they're going to be ordained, and that's not going to be a question. And it hasn't been. And at the beginning of our denomination, uh, 25% of our ordinands were women. Yep. And, and so there was, there was that movement that uh, the women's suffrage movement was also yep. uh, in happening at the same time, but was happening in those circles as mm-hmm. well. And <clears throat> the women were, uh, that were the preachers and going around and leading a lot of these revivals were trailblazers. Um, people definitely gave them a hard time for what they were doing at the time, late 1800s, mm-hmm. uh, going out, leading tent revival meetings and that type of thing. But the Holy Spirit followed them. They drew crowds. They right. saw people saved. And what they saw was people being radically saved. Right. And, and so you had, you had a, a movement where they would go from place to place preaching in different tent revivals. But then what's left behind are these people that got radically saved at these meetings. And they, they had a 180 turn in their life. And now they're meeting with other people. Right. And so you had these little pocket churches. They weren't really churches. They were more like Bible studies or support groups or that type Mm -hmm. of thing that people were just finding each other. And there was a desire in a lot of these places to bring them under an umbrella. So you had maybe three or four different movements, one from California, one from Texas, a couple from like Kentucky, Tennessee area, Mm -hmm. that type of thing. And they, they came together and decided, you know what, let's unite what we have in common is Wesleyanism, Methodism. We came out of that movement. Right. But what's marked us is that idea of being radically saved to live a holy life. Like right. we desire to be as close to God as possible. And that means throwing off the things of the world right. and going after him 100%. So in those revival meetings, you would have people, uh, especially women, leaving their worldly adornments at the altar because they preach that part of the Bible that said, Hey, you are not to be defined by your worldly adornments, but by your purity of heart. Right. And so, yeah, some of those movements probably went too far in telling people to get rid of all their jewelry, but it was part of a heart change. So when they started writing the first manuals or the first things like that, when they were coming together, that was a big deal that Mm -hmm. people, throw off alcohol that people that that people throw throw off worldly adornment right um that people um ordain women those those three things were very very prominent so that's why the wedding ring thing right. comes up right 60 years later right. or 50 years later and it's like what yeah like, and i would say that's probably almost 100 <laughs> percent gone at this point um, there may be some other sticklers that I don't know about, <clears throat> but to my to my knowledge, that's no longer something that's that really gets pushed And that's part of being on. the Big Tent, where yeah. where it was a very uh, niche movement that came out mm-hmm. of uh, the fires of revival. And, and in revival, sometimes you're making an extreme life change yeah. that you, other people are like, I wouldn't have to make that life change right. in order to come to Christ. Right, because that's not your thing. Right. Like, that's not what's holding you back. Yeah. Like, bring all of you. Don't hold anything back. But if you are if you feel the freedom in Christ to keep those things, yeah. keep them, yep. you know? But that wasn't the what what they were preaching at the outset. Right. So. Right. And and again, culture, culture overall has shifted a great deal since then. I mean, the turn of the century, there was just a lot... There was a lot going on, you know, like you said, there were a lot of other movements that were going on. And that's one of the things I find most interesting about the Nazarene denomination is that 
I've even known some general superintendents that don't like it being called a denomination. They're like, no, 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 we're still a movement. And while there would while there would be some argument made for the fact that in the in the in the United States we're more into the denominational phase, on the outskirts in terms of what's going on missionally and all that, I would say I would tend to agree with that. In terms of what's happening on the mission field, still it is still a movement. We're still having yeah. those ripple effects of, like you said, the churches that were being established, training up the people that were there, and then moving on, you know, with the message and letting that raise up and become a part of who we are. Um, we're continuing that still, and then in hopefully other those areas. churches being missional as well. Yeah, and it, and yeah. it is, and that's the thing is it's not it's not just one person. You know, it's you know, like you said before, it's if, if there's a, a district superintendent there. He is from the people there. He's from the pastors there. Like it's not a, it's not a, a ringer that's sent in there to do it. Like it is, it's it's from among the people, and and that's the way it is here too. Um, uh, one of the things that is interesting and that that kind of gets a little foggy in the Church of the Nazarene is that in the um, in the probably I would say the fifties and sixties there was a massive influx of. Um, fundamentalism that kind of swept into the church. It it actually started a little early, like yeah. 30s and it 40s really around the World War around yeah. World War II Two. is when mm-hmm. a lot of it happened. But it really took hold uh, by the 50s and yeah. 60s. And and the fundamentalist movement in the Nazarene church was interesting because you still have churches today that closely resembles Southern Baptist. Yeah, and believe that that was the basis of the Nazarene church, that more fundamentalist thinking which never was. Um, and you don't have For to get instance, very Dr. far. For instance, Dr. Dobson is yeah. a Nazarene. Yeah, James Dobson is is one of the notable Nazarenes, yeah. if, if you will. Yeah. Um, but, but and it'd be tough to distinguish most of what they did during his heyday, right. From Southern baptism, right? Like, it, right. And 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 the issue with that, the funny thing with that is the denomination at the at the the higher ends of power never became that. There was never a in, – in fact, general superintendents spoke out a lot against fundamentalism, um, saying this is not who we are. Not saying that there's anything wrong with it, but like this is what not what we were meant to be. This is not who we are. Um, and, and the rank and file didn't necessarily understand that at the time because of what had happened. Um, well, there, before we get into the, fundament, yeah, yeah. the fundamentalist yeah. pendulum swing, yes. there was early on a pendulum swing away from Pentecostalism. There yes. was kind of a split – because when they were united, they were called the Pentecostal, Pentecostal Church, Church of the, the Nazarene. Nazarene, and one of the one of the initial uh, defining factors of the Nazarene Church was there were people that were preaching. Okay, we've had these massive revivals. All kinds of things are happening. People are, yeah. you know, waving hankies and running the aisles and, and, out and getting radically and, yeah. saved. And and this this kind of like revival atmosphere continued late into like late into the mid 1900s yeah. Yeah. and was routinely seen at like their district assemblies mm-hmm. every time you would gather a bunch of nazarenes together it was a wild happening party <laughs> crazy things would happen and and yeah. the lord would show up and people would get blessed and off you would go and it wasn't everybody but it right. was it was enough, enough. <laughs> that there was an atmosphere yeah for so, sure but so you would say well aren't they more charismatic well, not really. Yeah. Like, we've gone over some of the things that there was a little more rigidity on yeah. certain issues. But um, early on, there was some people that started preaching that you, if you have the Holy Spirit, you're going to speak in tongues. And that is the only evidence right. of the Holy Spirit. Right. And or if, that you, it was even the only evidence of salvation. 
Yeah. Which was where it really like, got hairy. And so... I think that was the one that Phineas Brzee literally physically threw a man out of the church for because he preached that from from his pulpit in one of his churches. That you and, had, like, that the speaking in tongues was the evidence of salvation. Yeah, and he, he grabbed him by the belt and by the scruff of the neck and literally threw him physically out of the church. And so from that experience, a lot of people will, will say, well, the Nazarenes don't believe in speaking in tongues. And that's not true. Yeah. Um, it, it, it says basically in the manual is like, we don't believe it's the only right. evidence. Right. You know, and, and so people are always like, well, what's the evidence that you're saved? And what's the evidence that you have the Holy Spirit? Yeah. And the Nazarenes, the way we believe is it's, uh, it's producing fruit. It's a yeah. fruitful life. Transformed life. A transformed, a transformed life. life. Yeah. That produces the, the spiritual fruit that yeah. we're looking for. Yep. And if the fruit of the Spirit is present in your life, then you have the Spirit. Right. It's not because you are making some sort of outward manifestation that we can look at and be like, that person has a Spirit, this person does not. Yeah. I understand that would be easier Right. if you're just like, well, uh, you do this or you do that, right. and then you have the Spirit. That's not... That's, right. And that's and that's one of the things I've so appreciated about the Nazarene Church is that it, it is it is a it is a it is a big tent it is a wide umbrella that a lot of things can <laughs> fall under and still be okay. Now there may be some uncomfortability, there may be a little pushback. Our church has been, you know, was was the subject of a lot of pushback for a while from our district because our district was a little more on the traditional side, and we and were becoming very untraditional. Our worship gatherings were yeah. more lively and yeah and well and it's interesting too because this is one of the things my dad and I were talking about recently my da- my dad is the senior pastor of this church but we were talking recently about um, some of the more charismatic movements that are even currently happening whether that's uh, whether that's Bethel or, or or you know you could just go down the line of some of some of what's currently uh, running in the charismatic movements and we were just kind of talking about how this is this is new for a lot of people they're they're experiencing some of the some of the more charismatic things now but we've been a part of going to these places and experiencing some of these things for decades. I mean, we were, my parents were, went to the, you know, when the whole Toronto blessing thing were happening, they were there several times. We went to Florida. We went to Florida, the Pensacola, uh, the Brownsville revival in Pensacola. Um, You know, I've, I've been to Bethel, you know, several times. It's, it's, it's one of those things where, we were talking about it, and, and we're like, we've this is old hat for us. Like we've seen these things, and not saying that we're taking any of these things lightly or anything like that, right. but we've seen the longevity of a lot of these things, and we've watched them play out. We've watched some things uh, maintain. We've watched some some things, you know, as as their time had come, fade away and turn into other things. Um, so it's it's just interesting how being those kind of pioneering and and kind of getting some backlash for it initially have paved the way for our church to actually cast an even wider uh, a wider blanket, if you will, over over a bunch of different things that uh, probably wouldn't have been possible had we not gone and experienced and really stretched into some of those. Yeah, what what some would what some would say are more odd movements that have happened. And um, with a lot of churches, you get criticism for going too far, and yeah. you get criticism for not going, going far, far enough. enough. Yeah, exactly. No matter how far exactly. down the spectrum you go, and yeah. even though the Nazarene uh, church is fairly young. Yeah. They have experienced okay, we have we started in the fires of revival. How do you sustain that? Yeah. How do you continue having a movement but also providing the structure and safety that people yeah. need that like you had a big tent revival move through your town and now you're meeting with a small core group of people. 
where do you go from there? Right. And, and how do you sustain that? How do you turn that into a church? How do you turn that location into a movement? And that's, yeah. that's a lot of what the Nazarene church has learned over the last 100 or 120 years yeah. is how to take a scattered movement and, and make it something that's unified yeah. under a unified, uh, same, same, having the same heart, same mission yeah. uh, at so many different places. Right. That is something that they offer, yeah. And and being able to show, hey, this this type of structure will work if yeah. you're trying to take a movement and yeah. sustain it over a long period of time. Yeah. Like seeing people live a life of faithfulness out of a revival type experience. Right. And it's it's been interesting too because of there it has been so much cultural cultural variation. Sorry, within different churches, even in the United States or any of that, it has, it, it's been an amazing thing to me because I've, I've always heard people talk about, you know, wanting to characterize the church as a whole as bigoted, all white, you know, all, you know, patriarchal, all these things. And that has never been my experience because every time I would go to a general assembly, I'm seeing literally the nations of the world, yeah, not just represented as the followers, but as the leaders and as the, the planters. As, and as the ministers, the, yeah. as the, as and, the and, district superintendents. And man, it's, yeah. it's one of those things that just moved me beyond words. And, and, I, and Sheldon hasn't had this experience yet, but right. he's, he's gonna. He's Someday. gonna. Of going to our General Assembly. And just now, I think it is actually more... I think the delegation actually is, is represented by more foreign, if you will, uh, people not from North America than those from North America now where yeah. they're, they're, they're the dominant representation. And I think that just happened this past uh, general assembly. Um, <coughs> but, and it's, it's just amazing to see all of these people from so many different walks of life and so many skin variations and so much cultural, uh, cultural diversity just unify. I mean, there's just an element of unity that I've just never seen and uh, anywhere else. And it's such an amazing thing to speak a little bit to that. One of the things that, I was initially going through I've seen a lot of a lot of church movements that didn't have room for say conscientious objectors. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm from a Mennonite background. You know, <laughs> that you go into the Nazarene church and you know, our church on Memorial Day is like you'll see a flag in there, you'll probably have a video yeah. that Veterans Day, we have all of our veterans come up front, we salute them and all of that. And it's and I'm like, is there room in this tent for someone who would conscientiously object? And there is. Yeah. It's right there in the manual. Without hey, if you find it in, in your conscience that you cannot go to war, even though we are a very patriotic denomination, like we, we are an international denomination. Yeah. So if our nation were to go to war, we know that there is a Nazarene church probably planted in that world yeah. area. And if you feel like you can't go and fight, uh, there is room to be a conscientious objector. We also support people who are policemen, people who are law enforcement, people who are in the military, and widely support that. So it, there is room under that tent for all of these people to continue to meet right. and to find life in an that intentional community. room. It's yes. not just an accident. It's not like they've just stumbled in. Nope, they made room for those people as yeah. well. It's and 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 that's one of the things that's so interesting to me because a lot the, the denomination as a whole gets kind of gets a bad rap for some of our So weird, when you're saying patriarchal and patriotic and all these things, yeah. I'm like, well, you can say that, but the guy sitting beside you might be uh, a conscientious objector right. if there was a draft. Right. The the lady sitting beside you might be ordained. Right. 
You know, right. you don't so, know. So it's not. And it, so where's yeah. patriarchal? Right. You know, exactly. Right. Where's patriotic? Yeah, it's it's very it's a very, very interesting thing. And, and it was interesting doing some reading about the Nazarene church's response to things like World War Two. Mm-hmm. And because and, we had churches in Japan, you know, I, I don't remember if the Nazarene church was in Germany in any significant uh manner at yeah, that point, that but, I don't definitely, know sure. but definitely Japan, like that was yeah. one of the, well, and technically I don't think we ever actually declared war on Germany, did we? I think we fought the Germans, but I would I think defer that to was, you on that. I'd, I'd have to look that up. I feel like there is a little thing where we didn't actually <laughs> full out declare war on Germany, but we, we fought. I don't remember. Um, but, uh, I'm really sad that I don't remember that right now. <laughs> anyway, it doesn't matter. It's, it's been okay. a long day. It doesn't matter. Um, but but actually releasing things like these are still our brothers and sisters. Like even though there are some that are going to be fighting against, like they're still brothers and sisters in Christ, and we can't we can't ignore that fact. Yeah, and uh, and that's a tough thing to do, and that was not a popular thing to do. Um, I even think the denomination spoke out a little bit about the the Japanese internment camps, and that being problematic uh, from a from a Christian perspective. And yeah, so the, the Church of the Nazarene is no uh, no. Um, stranger to controversial topics and, and tackling them uh, counterculturally in a lot of ways. So you were talking about uh, the fundamentalist movement. You had the charismatic yeah. movement early on, and yeah. there was a kind of a split, and they went from being called the Pentecostal Church of the Nazarene to just the Church of the Nazarene. Yeah. And if you look up Pentecostal Church of the Nazarene confusing. now, yeah, if you look up Pentecostal Church of, the now, Church of the Nazarene now, they're snake handlers. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> yeah, so they're... Uh, that went, so they're in West swung, Virginia? That swung way out there. but um, Sorry, West Virginia. No, <laughs> but you do have a Strange high things. number of snake handlers yeah. because you have snakes, mountains, and yeah. Seclusion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but that was something that the fundamentalist movement was something that was never, uh, never embraced by the denomination, but there was a, a high uh, percentage of congregations and or pastors that were embracing and teaching from that that perspective, um, and so and, you saw. And even the ordination of women began to drop way down. during that it was time like, quite a bit. It got down to like, like between five and two percent. I mean, it was it was minuscule yeah. by the eighties. I mean, it was it was minuscule, and has been on the rise, uh, you know, ever since then. Now, and, and you're seeing a lot more of that. Well, uh, and there were specific efforts to renew our commitment yeah. to ordaining women because yeah. it had ebbed so far in the pendulum swing towards fundamentalist things because people saw the more rigid rules that held the tent together and they're saying, uh, yeah, that's what I know from being Southern Baptist or that's what I know from another fundamentalist movement and not, not having regard for the uniqueness of what being a Nazarene was. Right. And, and, um, and and there and there are a lot of Nazarenes who you Nazarenes would, are not KJV only. No, they are not, and never have been. <laughs> never, and never have been. been. And that's and that's one of those things. A lot of a lot of if you meet somebody who was a Nazarene who is is more in the bitter, angry Naz, it was during that fundamentalist swing that they were a part of the denomination. And we'll allow you to use the KJV. Yeah, and we'll preach from it. Yeah, totally. But but it's you not, also have to make room for your neighbor yeah. who's using whatever yeah. translation they have. Yeah. Yeah, I I recently also we are an international church, yes. so a lot of our representation cannot read English, which yes. would be a challenge to be KJV only. Right, and and 
<laughs> yes, yes there it's you a go. very good. We're not point. going down that it's route. Very, it's but a long, I'm going to yeah, say that. Yeah, um, but but in terms of Nazarene's uh, view of Scripture, you know, we're we're not you know ab- we're not biblical absolutists. Uh, we believe in the inerrancy of Scripture that it's absolutely uh, divinely inspired by but the Holy we don't Spirit. Have anything in our charter that says there's a six day creation? No, it they is. Find it, that is that, unique. it is that the Bible contains everything necessary for salvation and living a holy life. That is what we believe about Scripture. Yeah. Um, so you're you're while you may go to one place where they're gonna they're gonna really preach a very uh, hardcore fundamentalist version of the or Bible, narrow interpretation, narrow interpretation. Of yep. That is not in the church universal, and that is not. I mean, that's not been my experience ever. Um, uh, again, you get some people who get into that, and that becomes a thing. Uh, but it is not denomination wide. We do not. Uh, we do not look at that at Scripture in the same way as, as an absolutist uh, interpretation of Scripture, which some people automatically think it's heresy, um, which is fine. That's, that's fine. We'll, we'll argue about it in heaven when we both know who's right, and we'll be fine. It's, uh, when we talk about biblical inerrancy, it, in the Nazarene Church, we say that the Bible inerrantly reveals mm-hmm. the will of God, the will of, the, the will of God and everything necessary for salvation, right. something along those right. lines. Um, but the will of God is inerrantly revealed. Yeah. You can depend on that. But as far as inerrancy of Scripture, that's a really fine topic. And right. you can dive as deep into that hole as you want. And uh, there's a lot of people on both sides. But uh, if if you're looking for Nazarene Church to be Calvinist, we're not. No. Uh, we, we have a Wesleyan uh, in our... How, you, how does your dad say that? Uh, Wesleyan Ar- holiness, Arminian, no, Ar- Arminian Wesleyan yeah. tradition is yeah. is what he says. Yeah, more Wesleyan than Arminian, but Arminian right. Arminius started the whole thing that yes. kind of got us where we are now. And and Wesley Wesley found um, found Christ and was radically saved while still a member of the Anglican Church. Yeah, uh, remained an Anglican minister for quite a while. Yeah, um, and and. Obviously, people that are familiar with Methodism and all of that understand the ministry of Charles right. and John Wesley. And right. You and can he, look into that as much as you want, but it's certainly not a denomination that was started as a backlash no. to, to Anglicanism, and that's kind of kind of unique. Um, coming from a Mennonite perspective, we had to come out of the yeah. churches that we were in, create our own church, and suffered intense persecution for the differences that were drawn. Right. And, and, uh, and so Anabaptists suffered in a way that uh, the Methodist church didn't. Didn't, because, because culture had shifted. The split, the split wasn't so much of a split. It was more uh, a movement from within the Anglican church that grew into a, a life of its own. It yeah. took on a life of its own, and there was a more amicable parting of ways yeah. than just... Uh, being founded in the fires of persecution. Right. So a, a lot of... Uh, one thing that I found that was interesting, people uh, today in the Nazarene church were largely baptized by immersion. Yeah. And and one of the distinctives when we were founded uh, was that we would baptize any number of ways. Yeah. And Including uh, infant baptism. Including infant baptism. Which when baptism. I read that blew my mind. And, but after I yeah. looked into it, it made total sense and, to me. And... At the founding of the Nazarene Church in the early 1900s, there was a gathering in which they baptized in every 
way possible. They were talking about it where they baptized by sprinkling, they baptized by pouring, uh-huh. they baptized by immersion. They did all of it in yeah. one gathering, and they said it, they, it was just one of the most joyous celebrations. They baptized infants. They did it all. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, that's weird. But, but, a <laughs> but at lot the of, same time, I would love to be a part of that. A lot of I would the, have loved to be a part of that service. <laughs> when I was looking back to like the founding of the Baptist movement, a lot of the Baptist movement found uh, immersion from the Anabaptists. Yeah. Which was wild to me. I'm like, so you're telling me, like, Anabaptist is much older, is, is an older tradition than, than the Baptist movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when they were like, okay, so you're baptizing adults. We, we haven't done that yet. We know that we want to do this. How, right. how are you guys doing that? And the Mennonites, Anabaptists, all of them were baptizing by immersion. And so they took that and, right. and went with it. But the Nazarene church itself, it makes no particular yeah. stance. Yeah. Although yeah. when I came into our church, I had been baptized by pouring. Like it yeah. was, and and uh, and I was like, they baptized by immersion. Is that is that going to be weird for me? Should I go get rebaptized? And I just really felt before the Lord. No, my baptism was a very serious thing. Yeah, I took it seriously. I know that the the grace that is endowed by baptism was poured out upon me. I'm good. Yeah. Right. Even though it was baptism in the Mennonite church, I'm like, I feel no need to go get rebaptized. Right. And then I'm reading back through this history and I'm like, oh, it's totally You're okay. literally good. I'm I'm it's totally okay. Yeah. Right? Right. And, and and even one of the founding mothers of the Nazarene Church, I don't have her name before me, but she baptized exclusively by pouring because she wanted to demonstrate that it was another pouring out of the Holy Spirit because the mm-hmm. Holy Spirit was poured out. So she yeah. took that and ran with it and said, we need to baptize by pouring in yeah. the same way that the Holy Spirit is poured out. Yeah. And I'm like, Holy Spirit came as tongues of fire. I'm confused. <laughs> but anyway, whatever that is. Yeah. yeah. And and again, that's, that's, that's just one of those things where it just demonstrates that a lot of the distinctives of the Nazarene Church are the non-distinctives, are the things that we have allowed room for. Um, and I think that is the strength of the denomination. It's it's messy. Yeah. It's very messy. We have to have conversations that are uncomfortable. We have to have conversations at higher levels and district levels that are uncomfortable. Um, and and it is funny though to me the things that have been kind of hardline. Uh, you know, we've Nazarene Church was hardline for a long time on the theater, uh, specifically yeah. starting out with movies. with the. But the thing is, it started out with the actual theater. Uh, the the premise being that. If you were going to a theater, you were supporting the lifestyle of the actors and actresses, which were seen as kind of the unseemly people of society in terms of the way they lived, and they weren't heroes by any means. Um, and unfortunately, actors are still exactly what they were back then. Now we just laud them and want to have their lifestyles, which is really gross. Um, but it was it was looked at as you are you are contributing to someone's delinquency, and you should not do that. Same with our stance on alcohol. At the time when we were formed in in California. Um, they were ministering in like Skid Row. They were ministering where like all these, you know, the people whore, were strung yeah. out. Addicted. And so it was like, it was like, we're not going to contribute to this. And they were founded in the fires of prohibition. Exactly. So like you had the, the people smashing saloons, some of the saloon smashers were early Nazarenes. Yes. yes <laughs> and, it's very true. And, and so they would have never joined any church organization that, Allowed for the use of alcohol in yeah. any regard. Yeah, and our and the stance <clears throat> even on, to the oh, point of not having yeah. it in communion and, or anything. Yeah, and dancing was the other one. 
Yeah, dancing. And, and that was really funny because the manual never said anything about dancing like in the spirit, like dancing in in a church. But it became that man in the in the in the like seventies and eighties. People were freaking out like, oh, you Nazarenes don't dance in worship. And it's like, even though even it's though it's not even twenty the, years ago yeah. at your district assemblies, that definitely was more happening. than dancing. Yeah. Well, and the funny thing is, is that I remember my dad saying that uh, Andre Crouch, I think, came to Olivet and played, and they were so concerned that he was going to dance. During during his 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 set, and that was the big thing. You know, we don't want that to happen. It's like <laughs> there's no precedent for this, either biblically or in the manual. But it's just one of those little things that 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 whole fundamentalism because thing they said in because they said dancing. Then if you have a fundamentalist view, yeah, like they were concerned about like dancing in discos and clubs yeah, and yeah. that type of thing, and and that it would lead to delinquency and that right. wasn't a market of a holy life. So right. they wanted you to, right. And, and it was in there kind of, you know, you should not be doing this, you know? Yeah. And so a fundamentalist view of that is no dancing at all, anytime yeah. whatsoever. Yeah. That's not what it's saying. Right. And, and the same thing for the theater, same thing for alcohol, no alcohol, anytime whatsoever. That, that was, we don't even use it in communion, which I have a big beef with because <laughs> you're actually changing a sacrament that has been a part of the church for over 2000 years and I, I really take issue with that one. And I've actually, I actually personally brought that up with one of our general superintendents one time and just kind of had a little candid discussion about that. Like, um, hey, man, I but, have this opinion. Yeah, but that's something that comes up at General Assembly almost every year because that's not something that other cultures have adhered to. In North America, that's very true. But, not true in Europe. Even though it's in our manual, Europe, alcohol is very culturally different than it is in, in the United States. And... Nobody kicks and screams. I mean, again, there are some who are like, no, this is where the denomination stands. But as an overall cultural thing, that's not a thing in Europe. That's, that's in the European Nazarene Church. That's just part of the culture. And so it's, yeah. it's, and it's not sinful, so they haven't, you know, they haven't tamped down on it. Um, so it's, it's one of those things that it comes up almost every year, and I, I think that one will, will eventually change. The whole theater thing has relaxed. You might um, get in a, a little bit of trouble for saying that. No, but. no, it's, it's 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 legitimately true. Yeah, it's legitimately true. It's come up it's come up every single year, and every year they've had you know panel discussions on uh, the pros and cons of of alcohol consumption versus versus right. uh, you know abstinence, and so I, I think I think and this part is again this part is part of, of where those uncomfortable discussions have to happen and are given a, a platform to happen. Part of the whole discussion goes back to. Uh, what the Nazarene Church started as, and that was helping people out of severe addiction yeah. and and people that were destroying their lives yeah. in various number of ways, but predominantly yeah. alcohol. Yeah, and shelters, so shelters, and what would have been called missions, women's back and children's shelters were, were, were big the thing. bread and butter, literally the bread and butter of, and of what of, the Nazarene Church. A lot was of doing. our a lot of our pastors even today have uh, started their ministries, made their ministries a focus on helping people out of addictive lifestyles, uh, whether that be opiates or alcohol or, you know, any number, uh, Mm -hmm. pornography, whatever it is. We had Jared Flack on here talking about some of his journey out of alcoholism. You can go back to that episode and it, it was, it was definitely so, it's definitely a ministry of the Nazarene Church. So if that were to ever change, I still don't think our our stance on it's not the best thing for Christians to play around. With. Right. Exactly. You know. Yeah. It, 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 I I don't think that stance is ever going to go away. No. And I could even see that strong drink would probably still be yeah forbidden at some place. It would still be forbidden because that was what prohibition was about. about. It became mm-hmm. uh, 
it became a teetotalist movement mm-hmm. in in its in its later stages. But the reason that it started was was the prevalence of strong yeah. drink and American America's cultural transition from lighter beers, ciders, yeah. you know, lower alcohol content right. stuff to the prevalence of saloons and yeah. strong drinks and what that did culturally. And then the backlash, the pendulum swung to total prohibition. And since our church was founded in, in those, in that movement, I don't, I think it's going to be tougher yeah. to move for our church because that that goes back to the very founding and anytime right. that discussion comes up people are going to go right back to what we were founded in even though biblically speaking hey there are plenty of other rooms in this yeah. house that we call Christianity that say you know what Jesus turned water into wine and I'm not doing anything wrong if I partake of that yeah and and there's very little room for me scripturally to look at you and say, yeah, actually you're sinning. Yeah. You know, that's not what we're looking to do with this. Right. And, and I think, I think over time, uh, that may be something that changes, but for the Nazarene church, that's going to be a very difficult family conversation yeah. Yeah. in in our room. Yeah. That's going to be a tough yeah. conversation. And you know what that's like at Thanksgiving. There are certain topics <laughs> that you don't want to bring up in your family, right? Right, and and you're all still in the room. You're all still going to eat a meal together. You're right. going to have a, a good time. But there are certain topics that you're like, man, this goes back to a couple generations ago. Yeah, not sure we want to have this out right now, but we're we're right. gonna we're gonna keep talking about yeah. it, or at least well, around. And that's it. one of the things where we've had such a positive influx and influence from the international element of the church. Yeah. And I think that's where a lot of this change is going to come through right. because culture is different. Culture is very, very different there. Um, and again, where, when it's not issues of sin, when it's not issues of, of uh, flying in the face of, of holiness and godliness, there's room for discussion. Yeah. And there always will be. Um, and again, one of the things I do appreciate so much about the denomination. And so it's very, very difficult, basically all this to say, it's very, very difficult to actually pigeonhole Nazarenes into what exactly they are. Um, it's very difficult because it varies so much from church to church, yeah, um, and from country to country and region to region within those countries. I mean, everything you can possibly well, imagine. I, I guess one thing before we get off of, uh, before we leave this episode and this topic entirely, I think we'd we'd be doing this service if we don't talk a little bit about what we believe as far as holiness and yeah, what that means. Absolutely. And that is that is. When we encounter sin in the life of a Christian, Nazarenes believe that you don't, that the Holy Spirit is not there just to help you bear up under the weight of sin until you get to glory and you're finally free. Yeah. We believe that the Holy Spirit is powerful enough that when God points out a particular sin in your life, he also brings the grace and the power to be free from it. Yes. So we don't just believe. Like you can bear up under sin and he gives you enough just to get through and he gives you a way out. We believe that he can set you free. Yes. We believe in the freedom of Christians and the power of God to allow you to live a holy life. Yeah. And experience what that is like. It's not saying that we never sin. Right. It's not saying that we don't make mistakes. We are saying that God can change your will, change your inner bent towards him instead of a bent away. And we're like a lot of other, I won't say a lot. There are a few places that 
preach that we are permanently bent away from God. Right. And, and there's no remedy for that condition. And we will continually be pulled away by our flesh. But we believe the, the, the scriptural passages that say, put to death yeah. the old man and be raised into a new life right. where your mind, will, and emotions are renewed in the image of Christ and you begin to desire the things that he wants and you have mm-hmm. a bent towards him. So if you do fall, you fall face down in repentance and into a relationship. You yeah. fall into a relationship instead of falling out and backsliding and, right. and having to go through all that. You don't have to. Right. When when you encounter sin in your life, fall towards relationship, fall towards repentance. Right. And that's what we mean by Christian perfection, by holiness, that right. type of thing. And specifically, Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, no, you are, you're absolutely you on it. And, and specifically the word that you'll hear in, in, in Nazarene circles and the word <laughs> that you will hear a lot in... Uh, Assemblies, whether it's district or general, is the word sanctification. Uh, that is that is the big what would what what old school Nazarenes would say is our distinctive. I make the argument that it is no longer our distinctive because where evangelical the evangelical church has moved, every every evangelical church that you can go to has a form of this. They may use different language, they may use different. Uh, terminology. They may have different buzzwords, but there is some element of this. And so, yeah, the, like the more charismatic denominations would say that you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. Yeah. That yeah. experience is very similar to what the Nazarenes would call yeah. sanctification or total sanctification or whatever it is. It's it's about uh, the application of what we what we've repented of and. Where, what we've surrendered, if you've surrendered all yeah. and God begins to fill you in all those areas, that's yeah. sanctification. And, and it's, it's one of those things that even the denomination <laughs> makes a very distinct, it distinctly clear that even though they would talk about it as two works of grace, so you have salvation and regeneration and sanctification, which so, is a separate, quote, separate work of grace. Let's talk a little bit about that in your life, because yes. for me, so yeah. just from a Mennonite background, the way we preached it, you would have had, since we were founded in, uh, in, in the fires of persecution, yeah. when you said you were Mennonite, you surrendered everything Literally. because you could be burned at the stake for that stance mm-hmm. tomorrow. So our founding fathers, when they said, when they made a Mennonite declaration of faith or an Anabaptist mm-hmm. declaration of faith, they surrendered everything in one moment. Now. It, was both, yeah. it was both salvation and sanctification, baptism, Holy Spirit, everything in one, yeah. because you were surrendering all. Yeah. Now, uh, maybe you can speak to a little bit how somebody could come yeah. to salvation, mm-hmm. and then a moment of surrender at a different time. Yeah. Go. So, so for me, uh, before we jump to you, my yeah. experience was there the way that. Okay, so if you preach it that way, the Mennonite way. What happens is people may delay their salvation experience until they feel like they can lay it all down and be like, okay, I'm finally ready to go all right. in. It is a much bigger moment. And some people may say that's better or worse, whatever. Yeah. But it was everything all in one moment, but it would be a larger, more consequential decision. It was a lot of weight on, yeah. on that decision. So for me, I had the understanding enough at, at a younger age, yeah. you know, 11 or so when, when I made that decision, it, it was like I understood, though, what I was signing up for. And for me, that was a very serious, very 
180 degree turn in my life that I can yeah. point to. But all of that happened for me in one right. moment. So I didn't have language for your experience. Right. And what you're describing <clears throat> is entirely acceptable in the Church of the Nazarene. It Nobody is. would look at that and say, well, if you can't remember a separate date you were sanctified on, then you don't, you don't count. You've got to have that experience yet. That is, Some people have said that, and yeah, they're wrong. And they're wrong. Exactly. Yeah. If they say that, they are wrong. Um, so Sheldon's experience was that all at once. Mine was a little bit different in that I came to realize my sin and my need for salvation before I came to understand my need to surrender everything that I was to Christ. At nine years, at eight or nine years, oh, it was eight years old. Eight years old, I had an experience where I became aware of my sin. I became aware of the fact that I couldn't do anything about it. I became aware of the fact that I needed salvation. I needed a savior, and I—that yep. was what I did. I went for Jesus. I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins, and that was it. Make I was, me right. Right. Make yeah. me make me right with you. I want to be right with you. And that began my journey with Christ. And that was a. A moment in time that I can point to, this is when it started, and I was constantly pursuing him, but still sin was like, prevailing sin was still an absolute struggle in my life. There were things that were just constantly, I was constantly dealing with, constantly wrestling with my own will, always winning out, and it was always my own will, I would do the thing, and then I would come back in repentance, and God, this is not who I want to be, this is not what I want, you know, take my sin, you know, make me right with you, and I was in that cycle, and um, I love Jesus, I, 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 as well as I knew how to love him at that point, as well as I understood it. And then when I was 19 years old, I had, a, I had an experience that was uh, the most real experience I've ever had with the Holy Spirit in terms of tangible. I mean, there, there was close to audible voice. There was a, there was a literal weight and physical sense of, of him doing something uh, where he basically told me, you know, you choose me now or I'm going to take my hand off your life. And it wasn't a threat. It wasn't like, hey, you do this or else. It was... I will let you I will let you go. If you don't want me, if you don't want to choose me, I will let you go. Choose you this day who and, you will serve. Yeah, and in that moment of time it was like I got to experience for a brief minute what that what that felt like. Uh sorry. <laughs> Our outro music to, came in. You might not to, hear that yeah, on the recording, that's but it okay. startled it me. It scared both of us. We both jumped a little. But anyway, um, and and in that moment, I, I felt what it was like for that moment. I felt what it actually would have felt like to go through my life that way. And I'm like, I can't do that. Like, I can't do And I don't want to do that. And that was my moment of complete surrender. So there was an 11-year gap for me from my salvation experience to what Nazarenes would call my sanctification experience. And it wasn't because I was rebelling it wasn't because I didn't want Jesus. It wasn't because I didn't love God. It was because I did not understand that that was another part of what I needed, even though I'd heard it preached my whole life. Yeah. I'd heard sanctification. I'd heard holiness preached. But in my brain, all I was thinking was striving, do better, do better, do better, when it's actually the Holy Spirit doing and imparting. And just like I could not save myself, I could not purify myself. He had to do that. But then I had to make the, cho make the choice to stay there. Yeah. So it's been... A decision that, yes, I'm surrendering, and then a daily decision of, and I'm going to stay surrendered. I'm going to stay, like you said, leaning in your direction so that the minute you speak, the minute you call, I'm not even going to argue. I'm not going to fight because I've already made that decision way back there that I'm going to lay it down at your feet and I'm going to let it go when you speak. So if, if God's been asking for you to surrender your job or surrender the tithe or yeah. surrender your relationship with this person or surrender your kids. And, and it's one thing after the next. And you're like, when will this end? Why, why can't he just be satisfied with me as I am? 
that's a call to yeah. give it all and yeah. to write the blank check right. and settle the lordship issue and say, you know what? I'm not in charge of this. Yeah. All of it is yours. Right. Like, and there's still... I, you know, yeah. it's, it's all yours. And I'm going to right now surrender everything. Right. And there is... There is a difference in the life that you live mm-hmm. after that moment. Yep. Because it's if it's not it's it's a decision to not take anything back. Right. And it and there is still an element sometimes of wrestling. Oh yeah. Like there are still moments where I'm like, okay, God, I hear you. I want to do that. I can't do that. Like I need I need you to 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 make this transformative thing still in me. comes, yeah. temptation still, still comes. But it's that decision of I'm going to work through this until I can let it go. Like I'm not going to just say, no, mine, I'm going to hold on to this. It's no, okay, I'm going to need your grace. I'm going to need your, your sustaining to get me to let yeah. this thing go. And I it know always, he wins. As he wins soon as, the there's a, as, as soon as there's a struggle, it may last an indefinite amount of time, but I know where it ends. Yes, yes. As soon as it begins, I know where it yep. ends. That's right. That's you right. know, and it's not going to end any other way than me saying, yeah, right. It's, I'm, I'm wrong. You're right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's the simple truth. It's the simple <laughs> reality of it. So anyway, but yeah, we've gone over time. Yeah. So I think we should go ahead and curb it. But um, and, and I'm sure we opened up a lot of room lot for of, people yeah. to tell us that we're wrong. We're young ministers, guys. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we're sorry. Yeah. We're still learning. Yes. But, you know, we're doing our best. So. Uh, yeah, you can reach out to us um, at uh, at TTWS Podcast on Twitter and on Instagram. On Facebook, it's at the Things We Say Podcast, and our our email is the Things We Say at mail Yes, there you go. Yes, that's yes, how to so get in touch with yep, us. We'd love to hear from you guys, and uh, I think that's it. So we'll yeah. catch you next week. Uh, we will have a guest next week. Yes. So stay tuned for that and. Uh, Yeah, you'll be hearing from us. Thanks for joining the conversation today. The Things We Say is produced by Nate Ward. Technical direction is provided by Sheldon Stauffer. You can subscribe to The Things We Say on SoundCloud and iTunes. Don't forget to like us on Facebook at The Things We Say Podcast to keep the conversation going. This has been The Things We Say. See you next time.